Welcome to... Hey, Great Shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Crack Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. Listeners of our Crack Rackets shows will know we are not shy about sharing our affinity for the statistics found out there in the tennis world. We talk so frequently about the ELO ratings, the hold percentages, the break percentages, the first serve win percentages, all of the numbers that we think help confirm the observations we make from all of the matches that happen day in, day out week in week out of course the most notable example of this instance we all think Matteo Berrettini is an elite server right well you look at the metrics right now it's Milos Raonic John Isner and Matteo Berrettini as the only three players in the men's game to hold serve over 90% of the time I'm pretty sure that's elite company I think it's safe to say Matteo Berrettini elite server of course you look right now in the women's game Arena Sabalenka Iga Shvian Garbine Muguruza, Own Jabour, the only four players to be top 15 in both hold percentage and break percentage if you've watched the tour, uh, the WTA side in particular, unfold over these past 15 months. Those four players make sense that they're in that elite category. Of course, that Ashley Barty has risen from outside that group into a top 20 in both hold and break percentage, that her return has gotten that much better this season. That also isn't going to surprise any Anyone who's watched the matches happen week in, week out. But on today's podcast, we're going to change things up a little bit. Yes, we are going to incorporate the metrics, but I wanted to have a little bit of fun. And again, along with the theme we've had here on this podcast over the past couple of weeks of taking stock of where things are at, that turning of the calendar. I know I keep mentioning this, but once you're through the natural surfaces, clay court, grass court swing, you've got the home stretch of the 2021 calendar. We've got the North American hardcourt summer. We'll hopefully be able to head to Asia later in the fall. We'll end things indoors on hard courts. Now feels like a good time to take measure of where we're at, take stock of anything that's changed here in 2021. And on today's show, Cracked Rackets contributor David Gertler is going to help me take stock of everything that's happened in American tennis. In particular, the conversation we're having today, again, a subjective one, but a very, very fun one. Who are the 10 most identifiable players right now in American tennis? And when we say identifiable, not just to the tennis loyals, tennis faithful listeners of this podcast can likely identify any American, right? If I go down the list to a Colin Johns or a Jacob Dunbar or Michael Shabazz, I feel like some of you listeners will be like, please, I've known those names since 2012. But, you know, to the common, perhaps less rigorous, less dedicated tennis fan, to just I mean, casual fans or American sports fans in general, who are the tennis players? If you're asking your non-tennis following friends, hey, do you know this person? Or if you said, hey, name 10 American tennis players, what are the names they would come up with first? Again, we do try to bring in some quantifiable metrics, recent results. Is there a reason you would be on tennis players' minds? Do you have strong followings, you know, Twitter, Instagram, social media, etc.? Because those sorts of things we have to acknowledge in 2021, they do matter. Of course, things like upside, do we think, you know, is there a reason players and media are gravitating towards you? And by the way, 
speaking of media, if ESPN or Tennis Channel has the event, are you on the show court? Are you the person they're broadcasting uh, on the main channel because for a specific they think you're going to bring in the fans? These are all things uh, we tried to bring into today's conversation. Again, David and I, very different lists. So often he and I agree on a lot of things. We don't agree on too much on today's show. And so it makes for a very fun podcast that I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy. Now, again, I'm going to explain it in depth, the exercise, a little bit more with David on the show. But just wanted to give you all, I know that's a big intro, but just it's a different podcast, but a very, very fun one. I know all of you listeners are going to enjoy, of course, quickly before we get to that. I have to remind all of you that the reason we are able to do this day in, day out is because of the support we get from all of you listeners, from our Crack Rackets Patreon family, and of course, from our friends over at Turn of Tennis. You all know the deal. Best grip in the business. Turn of Tennis, uh, they offer, again, it's it's the only one that gets tackier when you sweat. Performance in hot and humid conditions, unmatched. To join the Turn team, you can contact sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. You do. They will hook you up with discounted college pricing. They'll hook you up with free samples. Again, that's email sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. With all that said, again, apologize for the long-winded intro. Very, very fun podcast for all of you, so let's get to it. Here are the 10 most identifiable American tennis players with the one and only David Gertler. Who's your trusted source when it comes to your facility questions, concerns, and needs? Ours is Hard True, the world's largest manufacturer of tennis court surfaces, equipment, and accessories for over 90 years. Partner with their trusted team of experts, along with collegiate greats Jamie Loeb, Alex Rybakov, and Dustin Taylor to bring the service provider of over 30 professional events annually to your facility. Whether it's the red clay of the Houston ATP, the green clay courts of the Charleston WTA, or the official hard court of World Team Tennis, Hard True has you covered. If you're looking to build a court, convert a hard court to clay, or simply resurface your hard court, work together with Hard True in their mission to lead the tennis industry by creating better places to play. To learn more about their state-of-the-art surfaces, along with their catalog customizable on-court accessories, check out hardtrue.com or call 877-442-7878 today. That's hardtrue.com or 877-442-7878 today. Joining us on the podcast once again today, a truly returning champion here on our Crack Racket shows. You may know his work from our website, crackrackets.com, his work for Last Word on Tennis, his all about tennis blog, or you may know his tennis Twitter personality, at tennisblogger1. I know him as my friend David Gertler. David, hey, great shot. Welcome back to the show. How are you doing, my friend? Hey, thank you so much for having me. Uh, you know, I, I don't know if I'd call myself a personality, but... Uh... <laughs> I try to be as entertaining as I can on the Twitter account. I'll say this without calling out any names. Anyone who offers original takes, I'm a fan of. I don't care how far out there your takes are. And I'm not saying your takes are far out They are far pretty. Out there. Sometimes they're far out there. 
every so often you like to throw one out there just to make sure people are paying attention. There's no denying that. But again, original thought is the key. And I think anyone who reads your work, anyone who follows your comments on tennis knows that you are not thinking about the game the same way that everyone else is. And that is why I am so excited to have you on today's show to run through today's exercise, naming our top 10 Americans. I'll get to that exercise momentarily, talk about the qualifications we used when our assembling our list but obviously the place i have to start before we get into that six atp and wta events this week four challengers as well you might be one of three people in the world and i like to consider myself on that list who are insane enough to try to follow everything that's happening at once what have you had your eye on through the first half of this week um so unfortunately some some events have gotten lost in the uh Nursal 10-3, unfortunately, the time zone, that one's lost. Um, I've tried sprinkling other things. Yeah, just tough at the time zones. Um, I've been watching a lot of Toadie. I, or, I don't know. I hope that's how you pronounce it. Um, I saw the Virginia Cavalier, uh, Alexander Richard, uh, today. had uh, He played fantastic, and he beat Tonio uh, uh, in straight sets his forehand was absolutely on fire today i've been watching a lot of newport gearing up for the u.s hardcore swing we get a little taste of grass um kevin anderson just had a big win over jack sock from a set down he's so tough on grass when his um when his serve is just at the level that he was at he today won 90 percent of his first serve points i mean it's going to be really hard to beat him on grass with those numbers what have you been looking at Oh, so much action. I was a little disappointed that Putin Sabakonia didn't go three sets over in Budapest. That was <clears throat> a tournament I was watching closely. Oh, wait, I've what enjoyed about the Kana Uvardi? How about her, huh? No, I, yes, to to your point, yes, all of the above, yes. I, I think there's so many players this week. Grace Min made a quarterfinal yeah. run. I believe it's only the second of her career, first since 2014, and just across the board, there are so many different places you can turn to. Uh, I'm going to butcher the pronunciation. She won the title last week. Naria, you know who I'm referring to. You're talking about Rus. Not Gabriela Rus, the other one. Parizas Diaz, yes, right? Very good. She all. Yes, yeah, she also won a title. She, I believe, has made the quarterfinals here this week as well. And so, she lost that. You know, oh, she lost today? Yeah, she lost to Storm Sanders. Uh, he was having a good week. No, which, again, proves the point. You can't watch everything. When you're watching a thousand things at once, have, have you really watched anything? It's <laughs> a tough question to ask. But, no, on, that's on the women's side. On the men's side, I mean, watching Casper Ruud just dispatch Holger Rune for the second time this season, particularly with the success Rune just continues to have. And he honestly looks a little bit taller. Like, I know that's a crazy thing to say, but I think he might have grown an inch since the last time I saw him play, but that was a concerning result. Did, did you see that uh, Rune only won two of 18 second serve points? And Rune, he was, uh, you it, know, he won like 26% of his second serve points the first time they played as well. It's like when it happens once, okay, maybe it was a bad day at the office. When it happens twice, it's like, all right, this serves the thing to work on. Yeah, and it's going to, I mean, quite frankly, he didn't return that well either. I mean, he... Rude, rude won eighty seven percent of his first serve points. So, uh, you know, it, there's a lot, there's a lot to work on, and maybe more than I thought when he's playing challenger. Maybe when they play challenger competition, they look a little better than when they step up in class. Um, so that was a little surprising, just how lopsided it was. 
Mm-hmm. No, I, I would agree with you. Again, that was one of those uh, that was one of those outlier scores that you're like, wait, wait, wait what happened? What was the scoreline there? And so had to go give that a look. But now across the board, there's been pretty good action. Some like. I'm curious, why do Rude and Green, knowing they're going to play 250 events, or knowing they're going to play the Clay Court event, play the 250 instead of the 500? Like, I get Tsitsipas made the French Open final, Carino Boost is your number two seed in Hamburg, but like, so? Well, I, like, there's there's no reason Green and Rude can't win that event. Isn't Pistaya nope. a very beautiful site, right? They might yeah, win the site. Um, or maybe they were healthily compensated to attend at the stad. Yeah, uh, if it's, uh, we all know why Tsitsipas is in uh, uh, Hamburg because uh, he got because Petros, of course, got the double doubles wild card with him. Uh, that's uh, always that's a topic. Yeah, but by the way, day, don't but, uh, but don't you hope your brother would love you enough to do that? Like, I, I don't think brother, we. Why don't we talk about that angle enough? That well, Stefanos is actually an outstanding brother. I hope my brother would give me tough love and say, you know what, you need to be on the future tour, and you might need to give it up. Uh, so that's what I say. Uh, he did make Petros did make a singles final last week, so I'll give him that. That was actually a very good result. He beat that, I believe, uh, Hiroki Maria uh, or Hideki Maria. One of the is it Hideki or Hiroki? Yes. My answer to you is yes. Um, but yeah, I believe he beat Maria last week in route to a ITF final. So, you know, good for him. I'll give him that. I, um, yeah. yeah. No, the game, there's Tobias a... Vienna took out Bagnini today. Uh, no, there's a there's a lot of there's a lot of really good tennis happening across the board. That's the crazy thing. There's only like I think three top thirty players for the men or something like, or maybe it's five for the men, three for the women, and yet. No, it's still a really, really entertaining week of tennis. And, you know, one of the big names we have yet to mention, Jensen Brooksby, the reason. So I guarantee you we're going to talk about him as we get to our exercise. But, no, again, you look at the the turning of the page and when there's this many events on the calendar, given everything we've gone through the past 12 months as a tennis community, it's just so nice to have the tours rocking and rolling once again. And, you know, if you want – how about that Sebastian Baez performance in round one? Like – he was spectacular. Yeah, but he lost in qualifying. Yeah, but who cares? Make the most of your lucky loser. Yeah, I'm not sold. Sorry. I think I got good, I'm not, but I'm not sold he's going to be a regular. That's fair. One other take I want to throw at you because, again, you're one of seven people qualified to answer. I thought Tiago Sabathville looked thin. I thought he dropped a few pounds. I thought he looked good in his first run. run. I know he lost that second match. What was it? Six and one or five yeah, and one. But like, it was six and tight, one. Yeah, tight first set. Sometimes that happens. It doesn't go your way. Would I have loved to see him fight back in the second? Of course, but I thought he looked pretty good this week. This was the best Tiago Sabathfield I've seen since pre-pandemic. Yeah, I mean, I don't take too much out of beating Kuhn, uh, especially breadstick set to him. But he did battle Jerry hard, uh, and I think Jerry is quietly one of the best clay court players on tour. So I am. I am encouraged by that, but cautiously, cautiously optimistic. Uh, I want to see more from Tiago. Uh, and, you know, last week, I believe he, uh, well, he did qualify, he qualified this week, but last week he lost to Bagnus in uh, Salzburg pretty easily. Now, ba- Bagnus went on to win the title, but there was a time a year or two ago, or right around when he won Chile, uh, or when he went Santiago, where he was definitely winning that match, um, that type of match. So we'll see. But he's on the no, right path. I agree. Sorry. I, is, sorry yeah, sorry no, for going long-winded. 
you know you never have to apologize for that, David. Um, the, the fact that I know on the clay, and it, by the way, the contrast between grass courts to like immediately the shell shock of going back to clay, it's like, oh yeah, I forgot about this. And watching Sebastian Baez war- like wind up on that forehand and just rip into it, I'm like, oh yeah, you can do that in tennis. I forgot. Um, so it's just a bit of a culture shock, but I believe it's, you know, the matchup everyone is looking forward to, it was either played Thursday or here on Friday, a match that I know was made after your heart. Del Bonis versus Ramos Vinoles, part 13. It's an uh-huh. 8-4 lead to Del Bonis. I feel like that match was made for you, David. Yeah, unfortunately, again, just because of the number of matches, I didn't get to, uh, I didn't see it. But I saw the result. I saw, um, I doesn't surprise me Delbonis hits the bigger ball he can kind of overpower uh Ramos a little bit so I am not totally surprised by that but at this but you know it wouldn't have surprised me too much if Ramos won you know right they're both lefties I guess it is a clay quarters delight I I I would say that it's one of the matches I regret missing um but there's 10 tournaments this week it's so hard to choose and other things in life going on for you know yeah exactly and then it's like well what about the work i have to do what about all the other stuff no i completely agree with you i know i've asked you this before it's escaping my mind right now are you a tennis tv guy are you a tennis channel plus guy what what's your go-to i'm a uh websites that i won't name on this podcast guy all right well then Step into my office after this podcast because as a member of the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, with all the work you do for us, step into my office. That's all I have to say <laughs> after this podcast And because we, we need to re- – because if – look, it, the Del Bonus Ramos Vanola's replay isn't going anywhere and it's got your name on it. So, you know, again, step into my office after the show. But with all of that said, David – Let's get into today's exercise, and of course there is, again, so much fantastic tennis. We'll be sure to talk about it all next week. I'll get you back on the show next week. We'll do another Challenger-centric podcast, but the reason I wanted to have you on today is because I wanted to explore an exercise. It's, you know, I always say post-Wimbledon, and I've mentioned this on a different show, it's a good time to take stock of where we're at in the year because you can really divide the season into three portions. You have the opening hardcourt stretch, which runs from Australia all the way through the Sunshine Swing. You then have the natural surface portion of the year, the clay courts, followed up by that quick month grass court season. And then you've got the summer stretch, hard courts in North America. You then head over to Asia, whether we have an Asian swing this year still a little bit up in the air but the point being we are now in that final third of the season with that in mind it's always a good time to look at the trends that have emerged and look at where we're at how things have changed my favorite time is coming up or besides well my favorite time in terms of the time zones should I say uh where I actually get to watch a bunch of the matches as opposed to them all being at 4 a.m uh yeah, no, I, I agree with you. Again, I, I'm for us here in the you – know, this is when we're spoiled here in the States because there is sincerely fantastic tennis from sunrise to sunset. For a lot of us, it's the opportunity to get on the road, travel to some of these events, hopefully if we are able to. And so, you know, with all of that said, what we've been doing here over these past now week and a half here at Cracked Rackets is trying to prepare all of our listeners for that home stretch, for the players they should be watching most closely should they either attend these events or should they be 
watching on their couches at home. And I wanted to do an American tennis-centric edition of this, David, in particular. Just kind of take stock on where we're at as American tennis fans entering, again, the home stretch of 2021. Now, we talk about the generational shift happening on the tour's on each and every podcast, it feels like, here at Cracked Rackets. That generational shift absolutely being felt in American tennis. In the women's side, it's much more pronounced. You've got Sonia Kennan winning the 2020 Australian Open, Coco Goff breaking uh. through into the top 30. You've obviously got Amanda Nisimova, who's made a Grand Slam semifinal. There was the CC Bellis run. You can name Anne Lee, Katie McNally. I can go on and on and on. Of course, Sloane Stevens, Madison Keys, still 26, 27 Close. years old. Sloane Stevens and Madison Keys both. Well, I'll save this for my list, but I think that yeah, we'll get into it. We'll mentioned. get into it. We'll get yeah, okay. Yeah, as you say, we'll, we'll get into it. But the point is, they're still yeah. they're still playing. They're still very much yeah. by age in the prime of their careers. There's still good tennis ahead of them. And then, of course, you've got the tail. Uh, you've got the Jennifer Brady, Jess Pagula, mm-hmm. uh, Danielle Collins generation, who's in there with Sloan and Keys. And then, of course, you know, uh, you've got Serena and Venus, who are still headliners, who still capture the attention of every not just American tennis fan but tennis fan across the globe of course on the men's side we're in a perpetual state of meh like you know for the past 10 years it's the decade of Isner and when you describe John Isner respectfully you're gonna be like yeah meh like it was good it was it was good it was it wasn't great it was fine like John Isner had a good career 99% of humans if you were like hey you can have John Isner's career they would say yes if they're interested in pro tennis of course again his performance at the biggest events and you know the aesthetics of his game how captivating that is for american tennis fans that's something we can discuss on today's exercise but of course he was the top guy for so long well right now there's not a single american in the top four uh top 30 and the americans that are in the top 50 you know there are some that are now ahead of john you look right now the top ranked american this week is number 33 riley opelka he's ahead of isner who's at 34 you've then got fritz at 40 sebastian corda who we're going to talk about at 46 Tiafo 52 Tommy Paul 53 so right there the top six Americans five of the six under the age of 25 the other one John Isner I think that speaks to the generational shift but of course if you want to talk about the Garones the McDonald's the Nakashima's the Brooksby's on the rise as well I'm sure we will today well, with all of that, well, I was going to say, with all of that said, David, I apologize. I'm, I swear oh I'm almost God. done with this no, monologue. Keep going as long as you want. It's totally good. <laughs> no, I appreciate I'm losing my voice, so it's telling me, Alex, stop. <laughs> but, uh, you know, all of that is to say it's an interesting time in American tennis. So what I asked you to do and what I had us both do, and I will be writing this about this for our website, crackrackets.com. I'm, I think this podcast is coming out on Friday, so you should be able to read this article early next week, is I asked you to rank the best 10 Americans in tennis right now. Mm-hmm. Now, not just on their ranking, and you know, because that's the easy metric, right? If we wanted to do that, what's the point of doing this? All of you can go read the metrics. But I asked you to broaden the categories, rank them each out of 10. I don't know if you did that exactly, but you know, essentially what I did, I wanted you to rank the players and myself as well in this exercise based on their current results, of course, as well. But then you have to throw in things like pedigree. Have they earned the trust of American tennis fans? You have to talk about things like upside. Have they captured the imagination of american tennis fans moving forward case in point 
um, American tennis fans probably know an Amanda Nisimova a little bit better than, say, a Jess Pagula, even though Pagula's been super successful <laughs> because of Nisimova, the story, the junior. So, okay, good. We'll get into all of this. Don't worry. Um, and I see which, where your rankings are skewed, and I'm looking forward to the debate. It's going to be one of those well, days where we very much disagree, I well, think, Well, hold David. on. I, I might actually change my uh... – <laughs> We'll just again, yeah. I'm throwing all these criteria at you. You probably did your rankings completely different. No, I'm just now thinking about it. I want to. I want to make a couple changes, but I'll, I'll reveal good. them as uh, as we no, go. No, good. On the fly changes are half the fun of the list. Believe me, I have a list of ten in front of me. This is not going to be how it comes out of my mouth. Like the list I have in front of me will not be what I end up saying on this podcast. So yeah, on the fly changes half the fun. But again, based on current results, based on pedigree. Based on upside, so again, how good can they be? Based on popularity with tennis fans, so not just the American tennis culture, but certainly not, if you are – And not just Twitter either. There's a Exactly. Are you – can we find an article about you not written by, you know, tennis tennisrandomtweet64.com? Like can we find a mainstream article written about you? Have you cracked the mainstream? And what is your ability beyond just connecting with tennis fans to connect with broader sports fans, things such as Instagram following, Twitter following, all of those things factor into my rankings as well. With all of that said, David, actually with all that said, Westoff as well, Westoff, give me an American tennis sound effect, maybe a national anthem, something like that, (laughs) and let's get into it, David. Let's start at the top of the list because as we get further down, first of all, if you – all right, here's a stupid question and I know – There's I'm no going, such again, thing as a stupid question. That's the ultimate fallacy. There's absolutely such things as stupid questions. But nevertheless, I'm going to ask one anyways okay. because we both have friends who are not tennis fans. And I like to do this with my tennis friends sometimes – or my non-tennis playing tennis friends – some uh, non-tennis playing friends sometimes. And they'll get a little frustrated with me but – they love me nevertheless. It's part of my quirks. And I'll say, can you name 10 current American tennis players? And I will just ask them because I want to know, how many can you name? Who are the ones you know? And I really liked asking my college roommates, particularly and the ones who hung out with me during the podcasting days because I asked my senior producer behind the scenes, Michael Azaparty, this question. And he goes, the first name out of his mouth, David, is, well, what about Bjorn Fratangelo? And I was like, there's no fucking chance you know who Bjorn Fertangelo is. And he goes, what do you mean? I heard you say it in, in your podcast yesterday. And it was just – it was really funny. That's and I was like, Yeah, exactly. I was like, touche, Mike. I, no, exactly. I was like, have you been hanging out with Eric Johansson? Like what's the deal here? What aren't you telling me? Um, but all of that to be said, if you ask your friends right now, mm-hmm. name me 10 American tennis players. Do you think they could do it? Inc- men and women? They get both, yeah. Okay, I would say probably 25% could do it. Twenty. And that's concerning, right? Like, that's not a good number. Right, yes. Um, I would say some of them couldn't name 10 tennis players in general. Um, yeah. American or not, <laughs> so... Uh, they probably yeah. learned a little from me, just because I'd always be... Yeah, by osmosis. Match or for the most part, and giving some commentary that they don't care about but i i worry if they can name 10 in general no i've made this joke before but it got to the point where i would tell my roommates i was like no i swear i'm watching <laughs> like it's not tennis like you know, don't worry like i'm thinking of this match i remember i one of me and one of my friends i've had him put up 
a Sekiguchi Challenger qualifying match <laughs> up on the big TV. Uh, I remember in college, and it was so you know he just picked, he picked a side, and he just it was just hilarious watching you know how somehow mm-hmm. this Challenger qualifying match somewhere in Asia, I think it was, was up on this like big flat screen TV. You just usually don't see that. Uh, so oh, I, yeah. No, I, I again. I they probably were like David. Please tell me you're betting on this match. Like you've got your life savings <laughs> on it, and you're like, no, I just really want to watch. Like you're like, no, it's trust me. This guy's gonna be something. Like he's got top 150 potential. Um, but no, I mean, again, the reason I ask the question is because. That is something to think about. You and I both live in the tennis bubble, and so you know we can go as far down the list. I'm going to pick a player at random, number nine eighty nine right now. Do you know who Jacob Dunbar is? Ah, uh, you know I've heard the name. I think. Yeah, I played college tennis. Yeah, okay. So again, the fact that we could do—I mean, he's my age. That's why I know who Dunbar is. I think he's a Midwest guy. But like, all right, what about number one thousand six in the rankings, Paul Osterbaum? Yes, I've heard of him. I mean, I've never yes, watched him, but I've heard of him. Went to Georgia from Michigan, Oosterbahn Fieldhouse. There's a relationship. Um, yeah, wanna, anyways, the point is we live in a – like we can go yeah. down and I can go further down the list if you want. Michael Shabazz, one eleven, like uh, 1,111. Like do you want me to talk about his Virginia career? Do you want me to talk about the 2011 NCAA semifinal where he defaulted against Stevie Johnson? I can do it if you want. So – it does – all of that is to say it does cloud your judgment, right? Yeah. I promise that wasn't a humble brag. But it's like it's keeping that perspective. And those sorts of things really skewed the top of my list. And in particular, I think it's why you have to have number one right now. The Are we doing men's best or- Well, I'm, I, I blended my list. So oh, I, wow. I top okay. five men and women, I just turned it into a top ten. Across okay. gender, just who are the players that are most I, – I, it's really instead of best, I suppose the term I should say is most identified. Okay, I'm going to blend the, my list as you speak. Uh, no, I, I, I like that. Good, good, good. Again, on the fly, that's the best stuff. But I suppose most identifiable is probably, again, an equal way of saying it. And I think the place you just have to start unequivocally, whether it's best, whether it's most identifiable, the queen always of American tennis right now. And by the way, rule is has to be an active player. No Agassi, no Sampras, no Billie Jean King, no John McEnroe, no yeah. none of that. But the queen right now of American women's tennis and until she retires and American's tennis in general – is Serena Williams. Like okay. She is number one on my list. I know her level has declined over these last 52 weeks, and the numbers suggest as much. You look for Serena Williams here in 2021. It, you know, over these last 52 weeks, she's been, you know, 21 and 8, which is a 72 win percentage. And under most people, for most people, you'd be like, oh, yeah, that's really outstanding. But, you know, she played one warm up event in Australia in the Australian Open. Since then, she's played four total events. No, we don't see her that frequently, but when we do, it's appointment TV, and it leads the New York Times coverage, and it leads the Washington Post coverage, and it leads the Guardian's coverage, and it leads ESPN's coverage, and, and it, it's it, you get a full segment on her on SportsCenter. It's like no one has that sort of power in American tennis. Obviously, the pedigree speaks for itself. 23 Grand Slams. Her chase for 24 is a storyline entering every Grand Slam singles event that she competes in. She's still the person in American tennis, and I just, like, I don't, I, as I think our number two person is the only person who might even have a slight chance of being on that realm. Uh But it's Serena, number one, 
and it's not particularly close. Yeah, there's a reason why Serena had that big. Uh, I remember there's a documentary about her that was like on all the airplanes. Uh, that was I. It was uh, it was with Matt. It was at Mortaglu. Do you remember? Do you remember this documentary? It was like a. I, I never watched it, but I remember its existence. Yes. Yeah. So there's a reason. It was on HBO, was, right? It was Serena getting that uh, documentary and why she is on airplanes and why she's the one you see in all the commercials. Her and her sister, but mainly her. And there's a reason why every why there are. As there's big three fandoms, Serena has her own fan, like fan uh, fan group almost on Twitter. There's a reason for that because of all of her success, because of her story, because of her story is really bigger than tennis in terms of where she grew up, how she made it to this point, the racism she had to go through to get here, and I think it's just so compelling to people. And I absolutely agree with you that she's number one um and i yes and that but at the same time i do think her time winning grand slams is over yeah so uh, that's the second part of this conversation that's what we're going to weave in as well we're not just going to talk about the arbitrary fandom popularity of course twitter followers instagram followers net income by every metric serena's number one um but i do want to talk about the tennis as well because I do think that's a component for Serena. A, she's must-see TV because she is so close to the retirement. We all know the end is far closer than the beginning. Um, But you look for her right now, ranked 16th in the WTA ranking, 17th by Tennis Abstracts overall, though 25th with her 12-4 record here in 2021 in 2021 ELO. That's the correct range for her right now. She's yeah. not a top 10 player. The consistency week in, week out, even the level match in, match out. Yeah. When she's serving her best, she can still beat anyone. But that ingredient has to be there now for Serena to get over the finish line. And obviously, as recently as, what, 2018? Like, you, you didn't have to say that. And and so, again, it look, she's, what, 39 years old? Like, to expect her to be in her prime would be outrageous. But I do think we have seen some of the declines, all of her statistics, first serve, second serve, win percentage, break percentage, hold percentage, are below her career averages. The numbers say it. The eye tests say it. It's not prime Serena anymore. Still a very good tennis player, but it's not prime Serena. For me, I noticed the biggest drop-off is in her footwork. She's just a little – mm-hmm. she doesn't get her feet in the right positions as much anymore. She's a little slower and more sluggish around the court than she used to be. And so especially – that was especially the case, for instance, against uh, Rybakina in, uh, at the French Open where it was – she wasn't able – you know, Rybakina would hit these big grand strokes and just Serena wasn't able to gain position a lot of the times to get a decent reply on uh, Rybakina's huge game and i just it was a it was just sad to see and you're right she does have to rely on her serve more she has to have a higher percentage of her serves she has to do more with her first serves while getting a higher percentage in because the tour is caught up and that they having i mean peak serena is gonna we saw peak serena at the 2012 olympics that of course she's going to be great, but that's just not who we have Serena now. I don't think it's in terms of like the field catching up to peak Serena. It's the field catching up to current Serena. Yeah, and by the way, to say she's not at her prime anymore is not to say it's time for her to retire. Serena Williams has earned the right to compete for however damn long she wants, and I think we yeah. both agree on that fact. But the numbers say it. She's making fifty-seven point two percent of her first serves now. That's the second lowest number of her career. 
Um, and it speaks to the fact the legs and just how aggressive she has to be with that shot now. And, you know, yeah. she's winning 72.3% of her first serve points. She's still a top 10 server in the women's game, but for the longest time, she was a pretty unequivocal number one. And I think Osaka would be hanging with her now regardless of if Serena Williams was in her prime or not. I think Osaka's – no, as a server, just a hold percentage. Okay. I'm saying strictly in that like territory of holding well, over 80% court. of the time. Yeah, well, I think a cross serve. Oh, I guess for Osaka you're saying. Yeah, yeah okay, that's yeah. fair. But what I'm saying is in the metrics, someone else would be sniffing that. No one else used yeah. to ever be around 80% hold percentage other than Serena. But all of this is to say Serena's really good right now. Yeah. Other players' best is better than her best now. And the numbers say it, the eye tests say it. That does not mean she's not still a point in mint viewing. That does not mean she is still the queen of all things American tennis. So if we both agree she's number one, I'm going to open up the floor to you next. Who's your number two player right now in American tennis? Who's the biggest draw, the most identical combination of talent, all of these different factors uh, combined together? Who you have at two? So this is largely a uh, legacy-based uh, submission, and it's largely because of her appeal to the greater audience more so than her current results. It's got to be Venus. Um, it's some... Uh, oh, God. Uh, I'll tell you why. It's shocking. It's sometimes shocking when I remember that she only... She has won seven Grand Slams. She made the final of every... Of, the, of all four Grand Slams, even the French Open, which is just crazy to me. And she's won... She's won the Olympics in 2000. She's won the Tour Finals in 2008. She's won the Grand Slam Cup in 1998. She ha is, like Serena, a brand that you can identify with. She has that worldwide appeal. And I'm, you mentioned Instagram numbers. I don't give a shit about what the Instagram numbers are. <laughs> I, I know that I get, I hate looking at the number of followers. I think that's stupid. Um, but I would guess that Venus probably has more than almost anyone else. Definitely more than anyone, but Serena in terms of American tennis players and in gen tennis in general, she just has that worldwide appeal. So because of her history, because of her uh, commercial, like her ability, like being a commercial and actually have people remember, like know where she is, that word, that appeal, I'm going to get with Venus at number two. And I heard a sigh, so I don't think you agree. Well, it's tough because I have literally on my notes right now, I just have Venus in bold and then a colon and then I say, what should I do? Yeah. And... I just – I didn't know whether to have her as the clear number two on this list mm -hmm. or not on this list at all because if we're factoring current level into play, you're going to see Venus for one tournament uh, – one match a tournament. Like I'm just What's being her? honest here. At Wimbledon, she got two. Sure. Fine, but you're not go you're not seeing her late into the weekend or you're not seeing yeah. her second week of a Grand Slam. And there are a lot of players right now in American tennis who are in the mix, who are making a name for themselves, who if you just started watching tennis – you're going to be more aware of. That being said, all of the external factors, the pedigree, the nine, you know, the non-tennis fans, uh, non-American tennis fans, also just American non-tennis fans in general who are fans of sports all know the name Venus Williams. So, like, it, for me, it was either she was two or she's not on the list. And I just don't know. Like, I almost wanted to put her and Serena in their own category because it's kind of like the Williams sisters, to your point. There's a Will Smith starring in a movie about their father. And, like, you know, again, the problem, Venus 4-13 and 13 in her last 52. Yeah. Like, and again, respectfully, 
She turns forty one years. She turned forty one years old in June. Like yeah. I'm not expecting prime Venus Williams anymore. Yeah, no. At the at the same part, is she still a factor in American? Te- she's just such an influence. You're right. Like the reason I sighed is because I wasn't ready to make this decision. I was hoping I was going to be able to put it off a little bit longer. But like, yeah, she belongs at two. I absolutely agree with you. You made I, a good case. I think that if you asked a non tennis fan to name five tennis players, they're easily going to go the big three: Venus, Serena, in American. Yeah. Those are the five that they would know. They wouldn't know it. They would know Serena before they know Andy Murray. I mean, they would know Venus before they know Andy Murray. That's what I think. That is such an excellent way of putting it. I, You're right. Absolutely. Lock Venus in at number two. And again, noting her decline is not a call for retirement. I always feel the need to emphasize that. One can objectively say Venus Williams, not as good as 2008 Venus Williams, not as good as 1998 Venus Williams, which was when she was... I did an, uh, a thing on five-year primes, and I had the five-year prime of Venus from 1998 to 2002, and she's still on tour, rocking and rolling. Yeah, that's always. What, that's when she beat... Uh, that's when she won the... Uh, 1998 was when she won the Grand Slam top and where she beat Patty Schneider in the final, uh, Sanchez Vicario in, in the uh, first round and uh, or in the uh, quarterfinals. And then uh, someone named uh, Taziat, who I don't really remember very well. I love that you have this off the top of your head. Well, I don't have, yet. I have some, no, I have no, yeah, I have some things. I don't know off the top of my head. Yeah. But so I, I was going to say 1998, are you born yet? I was, uh, well, it depends on when in 1998, but I was like, <laughs> Grand Slam Cup, are you alive? I was alive. Alive and kicking. Alive and kicking. That is all that matters. Um, yeah, no, because I was like, I'm three at the end of 1998, so you're probably, what, one or two? Yeah, you're uh, born in 98. I'm doing the math there. I was born in 96. Yeah. You were born in 90... When? 96. Leave all of this in, Westoff. When, when's your birthday? September 10th, 1996. Did we give away too much details? Do you need me to delete that for social security reasons? I don't think so. Yeah, no. All right. No, that's easy to remember. I'm I'm more worried about giving it my Reddit name than giving it uh, (laughs) it my birthday. (laughs) (laughs) Leave all of that in, my stuff. Anyways, yeah. I mean, for Venus to have this sort of success, it, to even still be on tour at this point of her career, it's all just a celebration. You can see the joy on her face, the joy when she beat Booze and Rescue was absolutely thrilling. And yeah, again, her and Serena are a brand, so fine, we'll have them. I'm going to put them in a category, they're tied for number one, because to your point, they are synonymous. I mean, Serena is probably on another pl- Fine, you know what? Serena won, Venus two. Do you want to go next, or do you want to go? Do you want me to go number three? I do you want me to make our, the case for who I had is too? About to completely diverge, I think. No, I think on this one we're going to agree still because, and I'm going to make the case she was my number two pending placement uh, oh, no. of Venus. It's already, I already know you, you said. She- All right, it's, it's good. We disagree. Uh, I'm going with Coco Golf oh, because man, if you no, ask, no. If, if you is this like a you ver- vehemently disagree, or is Golf coming up on your list? Golf is barely scraping on my list fascinating so again this is where instagram twitter younger generation of players you want to know who they know most synonymously with american tennis it's probably serena one and then coco goff too you look at the success she's had round of 16 now at made at back-to-back major she's one of only six players to accomplish that according to the advanced metrics tennis abstract has her top 11 in both 2021 elo and overall elo she's surprising like, 
Yeah, she's like 32nd in hold percentage, 31st in break percentage, kind of indicative. She does everything still well, but nothing quite at an elite level. The fact that you can read, again, ESPN, USA Today, New York Times, The Guardian, BBC, you name it. Coco Goff is an international brand already. She has been deemed the heir apparent. And we can talk about the dangers of that than you. Well, I was going to say, we can talk about that if you want, but this is not an exercise in what is deserved or not. This is an exercise of what is apparent and not. And what is apparent to me is that Coco Goff is the the, uh, torchbearer for the 2020s in American tennis. Man, woman, it doesn't matter. She is the person who will be the face of American Mm -hmm. tennis. I think we'll get to him, but I think Sebastian Corda is going to be right there alongside of her. But I do think Goff is the one right now on top of the pedestal that everyone else will be chasing. And I do think it's deserved. 17 years old, David, she solidified herself in this WTA climate inside the top 30, you know, I think she's like seventh in wind since the tour resumed over the last 52 weeks. And part of ability is availability. And she is available right now, making the most of just the opportunity she has in front of her playing as many events as possible. She's a legitimate threat now to make second weeks at slams. And again, 17 years old, David. At the end of this decade, she will still not be 30. That is why she's number three on my list. You don't see a Capriati effect? I just don't think it's like that anymore. Like, I respectfully, I think we as a society are just so much further advanced beyond that. A, the only thing that will get, you know, I mean, the thing that gets more criticized, Coco Goff could perform bad and then someone could criticize her. And then the criticism is going to be the thing that receives the most criticism because that's just how we work nowadays. And again, that's a conversation for another time, but like just the the heaping of expectations and the the weight – certainly there will be weight on her shoulders. Certainly there will be pressures, but I feel as though the media pejoratively – you know, again, I will speak individual members of the media as well, but institutions are just treating her with a grade of respect. And then again, the people she has surrounded herself with, the job her family has done preparing her for this success, can't emphasize that enough. You think that more she, – She just seems well-positioned for success. You think more Tagli is the right person for her? But it's not about him. It's about Mr. and Mrs. Goff, who are th- – that's what really matters. And they, for now, are fine with associating with Patrick Mortelou. But if things go awry, I, I – again, you're projecting here. You're playing armchair psychologist. There has been nothing to indicate that it's an overbearing relationship, that it's a pushing forward relationship. You can see from the creativity she's allowed to express on social media, the Goff parents allow Coco to be Coco. And – that Coco has thrived. Like, that Coco is clearly someone who is destined for success. And I know destined, you know, injuries aside, obviously, destined is a lot of projection, and I try to stay objective here. But I think objectively, you look at her accomplishments by the age of 17, she's amongst some special, special company. And, you know, it's not the early 90s, early 2000s, where 15, 16-year-olds are winning slams. But by 2021 standards, Coco Goff's doing the equivalent of that through her age 17 season. I would, uh, you know, you make some great points. Um, I would say for me, I can't. So where's she on your list? Give me the case where you had her and why. I have her at nine. Um, and because I think I valued, for the most part, co- results like the media like the bread and the what is it called the meat and potatoes like the big results i think i valued maybe a little more than you do and as opposed to maybe like you know the you know the 
star quality, maybe that's where we're having a little bit of a disconnect in terms of like... Yeah, I think I, I think you stayed objective, and I definitely leaned. I knew as I was coming up with my list that there was going to be some subjective takes. But anyway, yeah. sorry, but go ahead. I think the only one that I'm not... Where I'm more of like potential... Well, we'll get to him. Do you want to hear I have at three? Yeah, please. Okay. I was going to say. I have John Isner, and... Uh. I knew you were going to get there. So quickly, how can you say in the ecosystem right now of American sports fans? Again, these are the most – If I, I, I screwed this up. I, I said it was the best tennis players as opposed to the most recognizable or just you know the most identifiable, I suppose. You don't think John's more – just – well, okay. Let me make my case. And yeah, I'm just going to be honest here, okay? So if y'all don't like – you know, the listeners don't like it. I'm sorry. Uh, men's tennis is more popular than women's tennis, first of all. And John is Even the- in the States with Serena and Venus? Like, I, it's – their would, matches on an individual – in a vacuum – you're right. Uh, broadly, you are correct. Uh, in a vacuum, that's why Serena and Venus are number one and two, by the way. But, I, but yes, that's, that's just the little data if, point I would add there. If Venus and – yeah, so if – Venus and so I'm. If it's not the case in the U.S., it's solely because of Serena and Venus. And when they retire, I think it'll go back to the uh, match. Anyways, I think that John Isner is the face of American tennis, first of all, and men men's tennis, American men's tennis. Um, which, and I would say that I mean his his results are in, much more impressive than Goff's um, in in many players, not just Goff, in terms of 15 titles. Uh, Grand Slam semifinal, a Masters 1000 victory, and four other finals. Um, I mean, that's really good. I mean, he was two games away from winning, from making a Wimbledon final. Uh, really was in the palm of his hands. He just could not return in that fifth set against Anderson um, at, towards the end. I just see, you know, I see the results. He played college tennis, which I think, get some i that doesn't really help no offense it doesn't help that much no it's a plus one boost it's a plus one boost that's fair like in terms of like an sec tennis fan you know an sec fan i'd say oh my god he played at georgia uh he's i think that means something at a school like playing at a school like georgia with their history and with their with the fact that sec tennis is the you know, the cream of the crop in terms of college tennis. Uh, so I would say that matters a little bit. He always plays the American tournaments and he plays, you know, he's always there at, or he's almost always there at Atlanta. He's been at Newport a bunch. He's been, you know, he does well in, he's done well in Cincinnati. He's done well at Indian Wells. Um, he's he, where he actually uh, made the final of Indian Wells in 2012. I just, I just see him and he has the results. He has the name. He has the, serve of one of the best serves in tennis i don't know i just see it all coming together i think he does have some marketability marketability i really do i mean i had isner at nine it's kind of funny that we actually exactly yeah that that was on but i'm looking at it now and i'm gonna move him to six like he belongs at six i'm gonna be honest here um yeah i Yes, when you've been the best male, when you've been the highest ranked male tennis player for a decade, which is what he has been, like, yeah, you you absolutely are going to be well recognized. And I think 
you know, again, it's a stupid thing, but people in our generation, I can tell you exactly where I was. Speech class, summer school, knocking it out of the way, going to my sophomore year of high school. So that would have been going into 2010. It would have been summer of 2010. So it's the 2010 Wimbledon. That's how I'll always remember it. I know exactly where I was when Isner Mahout went 70-68. And I remember explaining to my friends in class, I think we've talked about this before, but being like, no, I promise tennis doesn't look like this. Like usually it's way more fun. And like – I think there's a, a generation of people who, if if you're, they'd be like, if you ask them the tennis question, they'd be like, oh yeah, the tall guy, like what's his name, like I don't know, you know the seven footer, like yeah. you know the guy, and they might even say like the one who played college tennis, and you'd be like, yeah, okay, you'd be like, are you talking about Kevin Anderson? And they'd be like, yeah, Kevin Anderson. And then you'd be like, no, you mean John Isner, but I just wanted to throw a fast one at you. Um, yeah. He's very identifiable, and you mentioned the fact that you know he's won a Masters title, and he's beaten the best of, and competed with the big three, and played them close in big stages. And you've seen that highlight appear on Sports Center the next morning, and like, yeah, I had him too low. He belongs in the. He's number six right now. I, now he is not my highest ranked man, uh, oh, American male, wow. but he he should be number six right now. Wow, so my list is actually mostly women, to be honest. My combined list, um, but. Uh, I I feel like I don't have enough women on this list. I'm well. I don't know. Let's get into the next name. So I have my number four. Okay. And this was the spicy take I had previewed when we were on Twitter oh, and someone no. that was asking about it. Here, are you? So oh. here it is. Here it comes. This is the spiciest take I can say. If you're an American tennis fan listening to this podcast, I want you to ask yourself honestly. And again, please tweet at us at Great Shot Pod at Tennis Blogger One. Ask yourself honestly. If it is – and this is the argument, by the way, I wanted to make with you is if it's Goff versus Bedosa in a third set versus Isner and Hachinov in a fifth set, where does the main screen at ESPN go to, the main broadcast where feed? Does, where would I go to? Where would the, no, no, no. Where does the ESPN broadcast feed go to? Well, they seem to uh, – to put it politely, they seem to have a radar detector looking for Coco Goss matches. Uh so I would Which think, is thus okay. she is number three on my list, by the way, above this. You know, that, that's like that, part of the question. Does their over uh saturation does that cause more people to be to know her, or does more people knowing her cause the over saturation of her coverage? So I it, it doesn't matter if the result is the same. If it like it, like that the point is it's not about the intended result. The result ends up being the same in this situation. Like I agree with you. You're you're very right. That is it, do people naturally find Coco Golf or is Coco Golf put in front of them is a very different question like than who Nina do people just aware Center of? Court, Wimbledon, are you kidding me? <laughs> <laughs> But again, that speaks to the power of Coco Goff. Angie Kerber, defending champion and finalist in other years, basically in the parking lot. It's like, what the the hell is going on here? (laughs) No, it's – again, these are all good discussions to have, but – no, so again, same question now. The question okay. is to American tennis fans broadly listening to this podcast, and it's a question you're going to answer on behalf of them, David, is fifth set. Fifth set, it's a similar opponent. Okay. Who would you prefer to watch compete right now? Who are American tennis fans going to be gravitated towards? John Isner or Jack Sock? You are lying to yourself in your car right now if you say the answer is John Isner. Because Jack Sock has a gravitational pull with American tennis fans Uh. that's just unquantifiable. It's the serve. It's the forehand. It's the swagger when things are going well. Wait, it was the early success. Serve? 
is more is better than your Yes, t- because it's because it's not just SmackDown Bang. It because Jack Sock serve feels obtainable. This is a Malcolm Gladwell theory, but like you when you watch the athletes who are seven feet who you're just like, I am physically incapable of doing that, you're not gonna be as big of a fan of them because it's not identifiable. Uh. We can't we normal humans cannot identify with John Isner because we're just never going to be that tall. But case in point, my club tennis doubles partner Max Rothman is the world's shittiest version of Jack Sock. And it's just like I've seen a, an approximation of that that's real. Like, that is a possible game style to see, and that is obtainable. And I think that's a, again, it's a non quantifiable factor, but there's also the double success that he's had. There's the Olympic success that he's had. There's the fact that he's been the face of Labor Cup and the American participation in Labor Cup for a reason. He has been the flag bearer. Probably since before he won that Paris Masters title. Maybe since he's won back-to-back Kalamazoo's and, you know, the tennis Twitter folks started hyping him up and then kind of immediately he hit the ground running and cracked the top 100 and Uh always seemed to be that next guy on the surface, you know, because... As great as Isner was, he wasn't elite. You know, yes, he sniffed the top 10, but he wasn't a solidified top 10. When Sock... Yeah, when Sock cracked... Isner's career... No, I say he's cracked the top 10, but do you consider the prime of Isner, do you consider him a prime top 10 guy or a prime top 15 guy? Uh, I would say we're splitting hairs if we say I— Or top 20, fine, top 20. But, like, I do not consider him top— Like, do you uh, think, when you think John Isner, do you think this guy's going to qualify for a year-end finals? No, I don't. Do I think prime, he's a top 20 player? I would have given him about an equal shot with a bunch of other, like— uh, When did he make it? 2018, 2017? 2019 or 2018 or 2017 he was right in the mix and i i i thought that uh he deserved to be in that mix you know i thought okay but that's once you're talking about once in a 12-year career like i'm saying for the majority of his career sorry go ahead that same with sock right sock only made well but but so you but so yes but uh, again to to finish the point to get full circle here oh sorry um, again no 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 please because that's a good interjection but you're making my point for me in you know for Jack or for John Isner you'd say for his career top twenty guy guy who's always going to be seated at slams. If he's hot one week, maybe you'll see a quarterfinal, semifinal at a Masters event, the occasional final as well with that serve. But he's not a perennial top 10 guy, not a guy you're seeing quarterfinals, every event, every surface. That's not John Isner. For the hottest of seconds, the hottest of seconds, David, 2017, he wins Paris, early 2018. Felt like we might get there for Jack Sock. And we didn't. But... The fact that it felt like we might get there, the felt that it felt like when he was 25, 26 years old, we may have found a perennial, not top 20, but top 10 talent in the serve, the forehand, the grand slam, the grand slam success he had had in doubles. You felt like it was just leading to this this big moment, this return to of American men's tennis, maybe not to the top of the game because, of course, Djokovic, Nadal, Federer were still in the mix, Murray, of course, in that time as well, but just back in the mix more than anything else a guy who was consistently you know top 12 seed competing for quarterfinals at grand slams now that never happened but that jack sock received that hype and he still receives that hype and like his failures in 2019 and 2020 i don't say that lightly i'm not trying to celebrate his failures but his failures were scrutinized each and every part of the way like it is not as though he was able to just slide under the radar and drop down the rankings the way say if tennis sandgren fell out of the top 100 i don't think that many american tennis fans would notice 
everyone notices the success of Jack Sock, and it was outlying or lack of success, and it was an outlying lack of success. But it was noticed. And I know, again, I apologize. That was a 10-minute rant. But that is why Sock is number four for me. Well, I see what you're saying. And I will say at Little Rock this past year, there, I think Mike talked about this on the call. There was a lot of buzz surrounding Sock. There just wasn't there, there just wasn't there for a lot of the other players. Just because he has, like you said, that aura and that um, – uh, pedigree. Four, He's yeah. got the pedigree. And he has the forehand that's really fun to watch. Um, and the serve. You're just like, that makes sense. That's a pro And the net game. People love those, you know, love his, you know, those He's creative. Ballers. I would push back on saying, think about 2018 season for John Isner, which he won Miami. He won Atlanta. He made the semifinals of Wimbledon and the quarterfinals of the U.S. Open. I mean, that's better than what jack socks ever done um so for me so i here's my question what penetrates the ecosystem more that season or the multiple double slam success uh alongside of the laver cup representation jack sock has had for the country because i would argue it's the latter as well like i agree again who has had a better career john isner who is more recognizable and identifiable amongst american tennis fans and broadly I would say Jack Sock. Oh, I wish we, maybe we should put it to the test with like a poll or something. Uh, I'm that, sending out the, should we send out a Twitter poll right now? I think mid podcast. Cause I'm very interested because I, I, I wish that it was the case that the doubles, you know, like Wimbledon, winning Wimbledon, for instance, with Vasek uh, Pasta. So I wish that was a bigger deal, but doubles yeah. just kind of like, could how many people, do you think could name the Wimbledon any four of the Wimbledon doubles winners, non mixed, or I guess all six, including mixed? How could, how many do you think can name one of them? How many from this year? From this year, Wimbledon. I'll tell you right now, I could not name who won French Open in doubles off the top of my head. I think it was Cabal and Farah, but I'm not. No, no, no. It was Mahoud and Bear Bear won the men's. Yeah, but um. Who won the women's? I couldn't tell you who won the. Oh, Krejcikova won the women's, right? She swept both. Um, with Sin- or she lost in the finals. She had the opportunity. I think. No, I think she won. swept both. I think, I think she swept. But that's the yeah. Point. But the point is, you're right. It's our job. You're absolutely right. That's fair. But the difference is, he played with the Bryans, and like yeah, recently, they're the Bryans. Yeah, but if the but the Bryans are like a combo, like. Yeah, but that's true. But yeah, yeah. No, you're not but wrong. I see what that's you're fair. saying. I, I do. I do agree. Somewhat, somewhat, right? And I and I yeah. think that you make some good points. And like I said, I, I think I agree with you more now after Little Rock, just seeing the buzz in Little Rock yeah. for Jack. So I, but I think that buzz would have been there for Isner too. But we'll never know. Uh, it's fair. No, but like that, I can remember Papa Sock as the nickname, or like. But who was getting tr- that nickname? Some hardcore fan and his better. yeah, someone. Um, or like that Kyrgios and he played together. That always get, got noticed as well. But I just feel like Jack Sock's always in the eco. And again, he got the Laver Cup invite. So did Isner. But Sock is always there. Okay. It's anecdotal evidence. Yeah, I'm, I don't know why I'm fighting this so no, hard. Like, I, no, you're I not actually, wrong. Yeah. I don't think we're fighting. I think I, I, yeah, I think interesting. We have... No, it's interesting. That's why I'm, we're doing it, right? Yeah. This is a this is actually a very interesting conversation. Uh, Thank you. This is see, I knew this was the direction. It was, sorry, leave it in Westoff. But every so often, I come up with a podcast topic and I'll look at him and he'll be like, "That's not going to work." He'll just be like, "Scrap that one." 
And this one, I was like, no, I'm telling you. Like, it is interesting because it gets a little subjective, but you can mix in some analytics as well. The whole point being, Sock's my number four, and we're only going to break down in depth the top five because if we do the top ten, it's going to go too Three long. Hours. We can rapid fire through the other. Yeah, exactly. So we'll just rapid fire through the bottom half as it gets interesting. But who's your number four, David? Oh, man. Now, this is maybe a little controversial. Uh, Are you moving Sock up? Is Sock no, on your list, by the way? It's a woman. At all. Um, and I'll tell you who it is. It's a young woman named Sophia Cannon. And so you, this is the name. I'm so happy she's in your top five. Make the case, please. Well, first off, I think it's like you said with Coco Goff, it's good to be younger. You uh, you have, you have uh, that connection with the younger generation. It's why a lot of those TikTok people... There's have so many followers, the younger ones, right? Because the young girls and boys connect the most with the younger people. And so that I agree with that with golf. Here's the difference though. Sophia Kennan's won a major and made the final of another major. And for me, having a twenty two year old major winner who's been made in the finals of another, who has Led her team to the finals of the Fed Cup, I believe that was in 2018. Um, highest, who's also a top 30s doubles player, made the round robin of the singles tournament of the WTA finals in 2019. Um, number four in the world. Uh, I mean, for me, she's like Coco Goff, but with results. Maybe, and so maybe she's not as marketable for whatever reason, but. She should be because she's the she is the future of American women's tennis, I, more so than Coco Goff, and I think she's going to be better than Coco Goff, and maybe that's subjective. Um, well, she is better, but I think she has a better career than Coco Goff. Well, look, I, I, listeners of this podcast, I have said it repeatedly. Go back to the 2018. We there are two State of the Union podcasts because we do American State of the Union podcasts at the end of every year. And by the way, you're going to have to replace the former guest, David, because it used to be with a guy named Jonathan Kelly, Joe Kelly underscore tennis. I don't know if you remember I that remember account. Him, yeah, yeah. So Jonathan's my guy, but he's just he's got real world things now, and so unfortunately, he just doesn't have time to follow it as closely as he used to. Anyways, we used to do a State of the Union at the end of every year. They used to be these two and a half hour episodes. They were delightful. Man, do I miss them. Um, and at the end of 2018, or maybe it was – at the end of 2018, yeah, we did – who were the best Americans? Because at the start – 2019 Australian Open was when Danielle Collins made the semifinals, right? Yeah, that was great. And so at that season, I think number one was Serena, and then I had I had Kennan two and Collins three as my – First, second, and third best Americans that season. Collins goes on to make the semifinals right away. Kennan goes on to win three titles, beat Serena at the French Open, have all of that success, win the uh, 2020 Australian Open, make the final of the 2020 French Open as well. All of that is to say I'm a believer much like you are in Sonia Kennan's game, her upside. She is the outlier. I mentioned this with David Kane. Her skill set is the one that's different from everyone else in the women's game right now. She's going to make you uncomfortable. She's going to throw in slice. She's going to absorb and redirect. It's just, again, it's not the so obvious power-based tennis you see from like an Osaka, Sabalenka, Rabakina, that sort of tennis. It's not that. It's something completely different. All of that said, David, and this is a topic that, you know, you and I being who we are, two guys, very similar backgrounds, similar – you know, we've lived similar lifestyles. Perhaps we're not the best people to answer this, but with all of the success she's had, Grand Slam champion, mm-hmm. Grand Slam finalist as well, 
still under 23 years old like mm-hmm. or returning like why is she not why has she not clicked david like I that like- is my question to you because the the pedigree and the resume suggest she should be a super duper star and she just hasn't broken through well, in that way maybe- again or- that's a very loaded question that's why i'm even reticent to bring it up but like i am curious to that that's why i i like i hesitate to have her top five i would say because she's probably i think it doesn't help that she's well I would say she's more introverted. That definitely uh, plays a role. Um, she's not like Osaka, where she wants to be, you know, on a, in a swimsuit on social media or making a documentary about herself. You know what I mean? She's more introverted in that way, and she's not in. You know, maybe she's. I don't know if she's gotten as many opportunities as a lot of these other tennis players, but maybe she's turned them down because she doesn't want to be in commercials. Um, you know, she has had some commercial opportunities. I, I would say, I don't know why, but for me, again, maybe this is just a difference in approach for us. I take results and I take them more serious. I took results maybe a little more seriously than like, you know, than this general hype. And for me, having a 22 year old who's won a major, made the final of another, um, who, like you said, beat Serena on clay back when Serena was playing well. And I would say Clay doesn't even Clay's not. I mean, Clay's not Serena's best service. It's not Sophia Kennan's best service either. And she she was able to beat Serena. Um, she was able to, you know, she's she beat Ostapenko right after this year in the uh, French Open when Ostapenko was red hot. Um, so she's not going anywhere. I don't think she had some injury. I believe like a what was it, a ruptured spleen or something. So maybe that's mm-hmm. why we haven't heard about her a lot lately. Which maybe clouds our judgments a little bit just because she had the injury issues i don't really know um but for me i'm i'm gonna reward her her fantastic results yeah i I, look as i mentioned it's i mean it's tough because mm, like again she's in my top 10 i have her at number nine now she's been moved now that isner's been moved up to number six it's just like with her with her i like that you say oh good as if like my list is important as if like yes okay <laughs> good he's up to number but um i just i mean i've seen her on billboards like i have she was you know rep for babylon and rep for fila and you do see her face on some things but only if you really run in the tennis circles only if you're watching tennis channel ads and only if you're having tennis warehouse things pop up on your youtube feed and like Again, if you ask, I mean, the thing is, he's in the tennis circle. Like, I was going to ask if you ask our mutual friend DJ Bailey, but that's a bad that's a bad example. If you go to work mm-hmm. and you say, "Hey, do you know who Sonia Kennan is?" versus "Do you know who Coco Gauff is?" who are they more more likely to say yes to? I would say they're more likely to say yes to. Um Goff, but I don't. I think that's only because the media hasn't done a good job of showcasing Kennan compared to Goff, compared to their actual accomplishments. So run me through that because you know one of my pet peeves is when the media gets attacked by a straw man. What should the media be doing more to promote Kennan? What What does that look like? Sorry, uh, to well, make, I, I apologize if that came off aggressive. No, but no, I'm just curious. I love it. I love it. Uh, I feel like uh, you're you're we're skipping Stephen A. right now, except for Stephen A. is in hot water. <laughs> so we're we're uh, Max Kellerman. We're we're uh, skipping. We're uh, 
excuse me, Skip and Shannon on uh, FSU. Yeah. I would say, the, I would say. First hold on, let me, let me call up Kenan right now, then and have her talk the answer out loud, like she's, uh, <laughs> like she's Julio Jones. Um, I would say that, for instance, you know, I don't. I would say you put her on the easy thing to say, especially after Wimbledon, just seeing what went on, is you put her on center court more. Um, you put more eyes on her. Uh, there's again, I hate to harp on it. There's no re- there is no good reason why Coco Goff versus Yuvine or Vesmina should be on center court against Kerber. I can 100 percent see that against those two. I don't see it, and I think that if, I think that Sophia Kennan sometimes does get shoved to the side a little bit in terms of her court assignments. And I think again, it's that chicken and the egg situation where are people really not interested in Sophia, or do they just not know about her because the media isn't covering her? Uh, or because she's just not getting a lot of press conferences, or she's just, or, or excuse me, her press conferences aren't getting covered as much as other. Uh, okay, but so I'm gonna push back on you here. Okay, that's just not true. Like I was at those WTA press conferences, and there are more people for a Kennan press conference than there is for Sakari, for Mertens, for a Matova. You will usually get one New York Times rep one other notable global paper, and then the usual rank and file at a Sonia Kennan press conference. And look, I mean, there's a reason Kennan's coaching changes and her relationship with her father have been covered. The media understands Sonia Kennan is a talent that is going to shape the next 10 years of women's tennis and just court assignments, which I agree with. Court assignments are not the media. That's where I just get yeah. angry, and not <laughs> at you, but just I'm saying. As the media. If it- no, 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 but, 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 but to your point, it gets into the ecosystem while the media is not hyping her. It's like, no, the me- it's not the media who assigns the court. Like, that's yeah. that's just the point I'm trying to make is well, in terms of being hyped because I've read the Kennan piece. I've read the New York. I've read the Rothenberg breakdown. I've read the Christopher Clary breakdown. I've read the Courtney Nguyen breakdown on Sonia Kennan. I don't know what – like, yeah. again, it, it speaks to her introversion, but like – What's left to tell about the Sonia Kennan other than where are these struggles coming from? And ultimately, that's only a question she can well, answer. Yeah, I guess like we don't we don't really. Yeah, I mean, I would have loved to hear more about her injury and her comeback. I didn't see a lot of that, but at this, I I think it maybe goes deeper in terms of what does the WTA itself want their next future star to be. Very they, true. They influence, you know, the court assignments. Who's on the promotional posters? Who's on the? Who's getting the pre-tournament, you know, buzz on their social media page? They influence that, and then the media. I agree, covers the main courts more than say court sixteen at Wimbledon, whatever court that is. Um, and so maybe it's not necessarily the media's fault, but in terms of who does the WTA want? Maybe that's more where my ire should go towards. So that is the sort of nuance we were digging for. I have nothing to add to that. That's exactly it. I, like, you nailed it. Okay. Yes, okay. the media's problem. No, the media's problem is covering center court as opposed to court 16. And it's because center court are the players who drive the headlines. Like, let's be clear here. They have a job to do. They're paid to get as many people as possible to read their coverage. And you do that by writing about the most notable people. There's a reason there are 17 different podcasts about each different shade of Roger Federer waking up on the wrong side of the bed. Like there's a, it's because people will listen to that because they're intrigued. And so I agree with you. It's like, it's on the WTA to decide is Kennan's game explore. This is by the way, I've now done like 30 minutes of Kennan on bat on like two out of three shows. So hopefully we've hit our Kennan quota and deservedly so because she is a fascinating player right now in the broader WTA ecosystem. But like, 
from a tennis standpoint, I and we have similar tastes in tennis players. She's a jack of all trades. Like again, yeah. she's the she's the difference. She's the this match doesn't look like the other match sort of players. And you need that person to have the sport thrive. Whether you need to promote that person to have the sport thrive, I don't think we know that answer yet. Yeah, no, it's so funny you mentioned the podcast because I, I was going to say there's a reason why three isn't is about better Nadal Djokovic and not like Carbias Diana. Yeah, Brooks is being the Surandolos. Exactly. (laughs) I would do that podcast, by the way. Echeverry, Pablo Varias, and who would be our last one? Uh, Melagini? We could do Melagini. We could do uh, Uh, Yeah. Oh, good choice. Good choice. But yeah, how about Echeverry? Side note, how about Echeverry's last week getting his first, I believe it's his first challenger title, huge forehand and on fire. We're doing 10 minutes on it next week. I promise you. Okay. I promise you. That was a great win. <laughs> Just yes. to be no, uh, no, absolutely. But again, that sort of, I guess that puts a bow on the Kennan conversation. Yeah, we <laughs> can leave that one there. Uh, so she's number four on your list, number nine on mine. This will be our last breakdown because I have him as a top five guy. It's a I'm curious. It's a him. This is my f- fifth name. Three, So three women. It goes Serena, Venus, Goff, top three. Sock number four for me. Five. And I think a guy who would be far more recognizable than I think you and I would factor in or expect right now, David, is Sebastian Corda. Okay. And it's just the pedigree. It's that nothing – Americans fled a monarchy to form this independent nation we love dearly, but there is nothing that attracts us more than sports royalty, mm-hmm. than monarchies, than yep. this idea that – this, you know, again, these families just breed athlete after athlete, and this person was destined to do this because their parents are athletes and they've been training for it with the best training since the beginning. And look, all of that is to say, I mean, that speaks to some of the other issues we have in society right now and the transfer of wealth and blah, 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 blah. We're not going to do that right now. We'll save that for the Michigan thesis, David. But um, <laughs> the point being, the Corda family is a sporting story tailor made. For American sports fans, you've got the dad, professional athlete, Grand Slam champion. The mom, former exceptional tennis player. The sisters, top golfers in the world. The brother, one of the ascending talents in the men's tennis. Like, I mean, we've already seen the profiles across the board. We're going to continue to see the profiles. You're going to see, once Sebastian wins a big title, the Cordas on Good Morning America. He's got the upside. Like, we, We found the one. Court is the one where current level results are clicking in the right direction, right? All of the hype he's earned over the last 52 weeks, it's done exactly that. He's earned with his results on court. He has the family pedigree. Let's be honest. He's got the looks for it as well. 6'4", 6'5", chiseled jaw, flowing hair. Like that is what young American sports fans are looking for. He's the guy. Like I used to think it was Tommy Paul, but I've changed, I've changed gears. Court is the guy. If tennis is going to become popular in the mainstream, it's going to be because, be because Sebastian Corda wins five to six majors. He is that captivating, and I think that sort of total package. I know it's very early to say that, and I'm not trying to push these expectations on to him because I do think, again, let his game develop slowly once the physical match. It just There's so many tools in the toolbox. How do you beat him is already such a difficult question to answer but I, the, just this is an upside pick as much as just the total package pick. He's the first guy on this list who checks off every single box except for Coco Goff. And that's why they're both in the top five for me. Like that's my future is Goff on the women's side, Cord on the men's. Hmm. I would say 
I have coordinate six. And I and I think and so. I, we're not too far off. This that, is the closest we've gotten. No, and I would say that be, I, that was mainly based on I see his game. I see where men's tennis is going in terms of the power, the depth, the consistency while getting that depth and power on his shots. The serve has been so much improved compared to last year, and I do think that he has a great shot to win a major down the line. So I I I don't. I have someone else first again, based on current or based on what they've done. This person's done versus potential, but I can see why you have Corda there, and I think also having that family story with his sisters, who are both unbelievable. I can't. It's it's just incredible how all three of them are just excelling at the same time, and I think that's really what pushed him also up my list a little bit. Um, it's like the McCaffreys kind of, right? Like even – I guess we're Michigan people, so Dylan McCaffrey is a little bit more relevant to us. But it's like that was a thing. Just sports families are things, right? Like there's a reason you see multiple Bushes running for president, multiple Clintons running for presidents. There's a reason you see these names continue to pop up over and over and over again because Americans like dynasties. And the quarters right now are in the midst of building a family-wide sporting dynasty. And there's just appeal there. But I'm curious, if he's not your number five, I know it's not Jack Sock either. I'm going to guess – can I guess who it is? Yeah. Can I, can I give you a guess? It's either going to be Tiafo or Brooksby. Neither. It's, you're not even in the ballpark. Uh, is it a man or a woman? It's a woman. Uh, oh, oh, hold on then. Let me try that again. It's going to be – I'm going to go Sloan Stevens. Yes, I'm going to lock that in. It's Sloan Stevens. And- it's a good pick. She, she, for the record, they were – I have her and Keys tied as one. And so I'm just like that because they're, they're one person to me. But it's just like their story is so intertwined yeah. that I had them – I had them sixth before I moved Isner above them. So they're now seventh. But I, it's a good pick. Make the case. So do you remember that – I remember – do you remember Sloan Stevens doing Tennis Channel commentary right before she won the U.S. Open when she had broken – what did she break her foot or ankle or – It was like a, a wrist or something. But yes, yes, yes. Yes, where she was injured. And I just – Think about that and then think about where she was so quickly after that. And it's just incredible mm-hmm. for me. So she's not, she's career high ranking. She's a top. It's a, nowadays it's hard to just even think about this, like in terms of think of, this actually happened. But she was number three in the world in July of 2018. Number three. Mm-hmm. She won the U.S. Open. She was a set and a breakup in the French Open final against Halep. She made, I remember 2013. She shocked. She was the face of the tennis world when she beat Serena Williams uh, en route to the. I believe that was the same year she made the semifinals um, of the Australian Open. She has six titles. And I mean, for me, I feel like she's a, also a very marketable person. And I feel like I see her around a lot. And she has that pedigree of winning the major. And. I just – I didn't see anyone I could put above her. And I think it's going to be hard for me to put someone – I mean, like I said, number three in the world at one point, made a final and was a few holds away from another uh, – I'm sorry, made a – won a major and was a few holds away from a second major. I And I personally love her game style when she's motivated, so yeah. – no, and the other thing I would throw in there is that there's nothing we like more than a comeback story, and she is starting to play much better tennis. Like, yeah. she really is starting to find her form again. And the Sloan Stevens redemption tour, she's still, what, 27? Like, 28 years old? 
plenty of time redemption is a little strong of a word but like the resurgence to her and her getting because she's outside the top 50 right now and like she may get back there with these grand slam results but summer hardcourt's an opportunity for her this is surface obviously you know this is where she won her grand slam at the u.s open and so no, it's it's a really really good pick. That's why her and I can't have her and Keys lower than seventh because I do think Sloane Stevens very identifiable. She's someone you has seen uh, you have seen on national ad campaigns. Um, someone who's very you know again outspoken on on all issues on social media. Someone who uses her platform to try and create the most good with the opportunities she's been given. Like checks off all of the boxes as well, minus perhaps the results of late on the tennis court. And it's like that's fine because that may even work to her favor should she make a third, fourth round. There's nothing ESPN will enjoy doing more than going to the Sloan Stevens camp. Be like, look who's making a move. Former yeah. champion Sloan Stevens. I can hear Chris McHendry doing it now. Yeah. That was my impression, by the way, of her cadence. It's like, and look who's on court six. Sloan and Alexander Stevens. Stevenson would be like, who? Slo- who's Sloan Stevens? <laughs> I'm going to leave that in because you took the shot, but like, yeah, no, I'm just um, kidding. Um, yeah, no, again, I, I don't think it's a bad pick at all. I would say also, this is just a side note. Darian King was coaching her at some point. Is Do you know the relationship? Still in the box. Still in the player's box. So he's, it's more hitting with her than coaching. Yeah, okay. That's what I suspected because he's still out there. I think he played in Newport this past week in Qualys. I think I saw his, he played in Qualys. He did play in Qualys. I think he lost in Ramadan. I'm just wondering how that works. And that makes sense more if he's a hitting partner as opposed to a full like a full-on coach. Yeah, I think, yeah, it's more, again, yeah, along the lines of yeah, the practice together, train together, all these different things. Um, I think, you know, again, he thinks he's on her dime when he's training with her, but uh, so it is some sort of formal arrangement. But no, I he is still playing as well. And then one more thing, sorry. Was no, Stevens was on the Fed Cup team that won 20, in 2017, right? But did she play a big role in that? I'm trying to remember. Um <sighs> Yeah, I wish I had a better memory of that. I, I won't lie. Fed Cups, things like that, I like get away from me. Well, Davis Cup was ruined. I guess I think Fed Cup <laughs> is on the way. Um, PK Cup, should we call Davis Cup? Ah, there he is. Oh, good. We've come full circle now. Um, <laughs> but no, again, all that said, these are good cases. Let's rapid fire through the end here. Okay. Six for you is Corda. Six for me is Isner. Seven, I have Sloan and Keys. Who do you have? I have Jennifer Brady. Uh, Jennifer Brady, number seven. Interessante. Um, all right, who's your number eight? Madison Keys. So, again, I cheated a little bit there, so I have her a little bit earlier. I have Tiafo at number eight. I think that's a story a lot of people uh, – his story is one a lot of people are familiar with, especially he had so much success when he was younger. And I think he's had a lot of success of late as well. I think he's starting to play his best tennis. Yeah, until the return left him against Kachanov. But yeah, no, I mean, that went over Sitsipas. That just made me smile because I thought about him grinding in Nottingham and winning the Challenger and then just seeing that uh, translate to the Grand Slam. That just made me happy. But yeah, I I, I can see that, but I, I'm not, no more men on my list. Uh, That's fair. No, none down the home stretch. So nine for me is Kenan, nine for you is Goff. I have Brooksby at 10 just because I really wanted to start a flame at the end of this podcast i don't even know if i meant it um that's just an upside pick as much as anything else um but who's your 10 okay well first off i'll say how the hell is jensen brooksby this quickly adapted his game to grass it's a joke it's a joke david he he looks completely comfortable i saw i saw some of the match against kudla and he just looks like it's playing on hardcore it's just amazing how comfortable he looks my 10 is a sleeping giant 
uh, Amanda and Nisa Mova. Uh, so she was my just cut. Her, Fritz Opelka, Paul, like as a trio, were all on there. Pagula was hanging around. Honestly, Noah Rubin because of all of his behind the racket, uh, you know, and all of his. Noah Rubin. <sighs> He, I, yeah, but I, I, but it would have been an interesting. Yeah, like, sorry, go ahead. I like him as a person, but he's got to, you know, commit himself a little more to being, you know, to, all fair to the tennis. Yeah, all fair again, but he is well recognized. I mean, we've seen the stories on Noah Rubin. Yeah, um, more so than maybe the Kennan stories. But anyways, who's your ten? And yes, I by the way, I agree with you. Like Brooksby, it's a it's a joke how good it's just like stupid how good he is at everything on a tennis court. Who, wait, who are you talking about? Brooksby, it's oh, a joke. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean he's definitely he's if it, it's Corda and then them and turn then Brooksby in terms of the, who I see as the future on the men's list. Brooksby was my number five. Um, in terms of young players, he was the second one. He was the one right behind Corda. Um, and I'll tell you why Nisi Mova is ten on my on my combined list. Let's not forget she won. She won, she won a WTA title, and she's made and she was a set away from uh, the French Open final. When she she's went through a lot of personal struggles and and I which have probably affected her game more than we even know. Uh, I don't want to speculate, but I would say when she gets her game together, she's one of the most dangerous players on the WTA tour. Um, and the results show that she was up what? She was up 3-0 in the second set against Barty, something like that. Um, she was very close to that French Open final. Um, and I think she's she was she was like one of the like more marketable players back you know when she was having results and I think she can get back to that um, if she ends up regaining her form. What do you think? Yeah, I she was one of my players to watch when my dark horse is entering Wimbledon. Of course, the draw ended up breaking against her, but and she ended up being a little bit injured. Um, but no, I agree with you. Like again. To lose your father, to go through all the different things she's gone through over these past 24 months, you can understand why the tennis might suffer a little bit. And she's still only like, what, 19 years old? Because she's like six months older than my little brother, and he's just turned 19. So I'm pretty sure she's still 19 as well. And it's like, yeah, again, end of this decade, she's not even going to be 30. So, like, what are we doing here? Like, yeah, I agree. There's still exceptional tennis. She has a power, a top-gear power that it's just hard to match. And she's got a flair. Like, case in point, that Andrescu match she played in Miami. That's still one of my favorite matches of the season. And, yeah, there's definitely a star quality to her about her as well. I very good inclusion to the list. Oh, good. I'm glad glad we have some sort of agreement. yeah, no, they're all, again, they're all close. There's a bunch of honorable mentions that you can go with all the college guys, and Bethany Maddox-Sands probably deserves some love in here as well because certainly she's identifiable for so many fans of tennis. But, yeah, no, again, yeah, Jen, I was going to say, sorry, go ahead. That's a word. That's a way, that's a way to put it, you're right. Yeah, exactly. But, uh, no, again, with that in mind, I suppose we can leave things there. Any final thoughts on this exercise? Any names you were considering that you left out? Any other tennis things? Yeah, just anything, David. It's, the, you know, the platform is yours. Any final thoughts? Yeah. Um, so, like, I mean, I feel, feel, feel a little bad leaving out. Uh, so, I, do you want me to roll through my men's and my women? I just can do that Pl- quickly. Oh, you have said, please, by all means. Okay, so the men's, I had Isner, Corda, Fritz, Opelka, Brooksby, Sock, Tiapo, Paul, Nakashima, Query. Um, okay. 
I had to put Query in there just as a legacy. Um, he was one of my honorable mentions. And then for the women, Venus, I mean, excuse me, Serena, Venus, Cannon, Stevens, Brady, Keys, Goff, Anisimova, Pagula, Collins. Yeah, Danielle Collins is a name that should have been thrown out there as well. She was also in my honorable mentions. That's a good one. Yeah, again, there's a lot of talented players right now in American women's tennis. Yeah. There's certainly a lot of talent rising on the men's side as well. And, you know, again, a guy like Dennis Kudla in the mix. He's been part of the ecosystem for so long. has made a fourth round. And, you know, with Stevie Johnson, if you're a college tennis fan, you absolutely know who Stevie J is. And so... You know, yeah, it, there's a lot of good names in American tennis. Uh, in American tennis now, you know, again heading into the slams, I think this is the first Grand Slam Wimbledon was without an American quarterfinalist since like 2017 or something like that, something crazy, or maybe it was a little bit before then. But you know, again, my final question to you, heading into the summer hardcourt stretch, how are you feeling about American tennis? I would say that I I can't wait to see guys like Brooks be like Nakashima. Uh, get those wild cards to these tournaments and show their stuff and show what we've been deserved wild cards De- uh, deserve and why that's always the million dollar question oxymoron yeah um do you you're asking about if, if i think they deserve him yeah i would say yes yeah no it's it's an oxymoronic term right the deserved wild card that's not like it's not two phrases that go together normally, but I uh, sorry I didn't mean to cut you off. I agree. I think they are going to get deserved wild cards. I think it's going to be fun to watch them compete. Yeah, and I really think John Isner is going to be making his name heard again. This, you know, he'll probably win Atlanta. He'll uh, he'll go on a run in the Masters in the, maybe Cincinnati. Have a good run at the Open. I thought you you have not heard the last of John Isner. Trust me. Well, you know they don't call it Atlanta anymore. They just call it the John Isner Open. Yeah, true story. Do you, um, no. do you know if Winston Salem being played this year? Do you know? I think they're intending to. Because I wonder if he's going to. Because it's so hard with Isner because he went to college in uh, Georgia, and, but he was originally from. I know he's a big Carolina Hurricanes fan. I, I think he was originally from, or he currently li- no, he currently lives in Dallas, but he was originally from North Carolina. So I was just curious if he was going to play his second home tournament, Winston Salem. Mm-hmm. No, it's it's a good question to ask, but. No, hopefully we will see all these players on court competing because certainly if they do, uh, that will lead to, again, a fun time to be an American tennis fan. And there are so many different narrative arcs to follow right now. And, of course, David, writing about narrative arcs is something you do best. So, of course, before I let you go, i got to ask, as always, what do you have coming down the pipeline? What can we expect from you? Um, so I did some Bastad predictions this week with middling success. Uh, <laughs> it's you know Sometimes the post-Wimbledon uh, clay season can get a little wonky. Uh, um, but I am enjoying watching the clay again. Um, I kind of, I have to say, I'm sorry. Grass court tennis just doesn't do it for me like clay court tennis does. Amen. You're preaching to the choir here, David. And I, and I've loved actually getting back and playing on the clay too, as opposed to hard courts in Nashville. I was on the hard courts a lot. I was tired of that. Um, tired of that. <laughs> but, uh, anyways, no, I have nothing really else planned. I can do something else. Um, I, right now, a lot of my time is spent uh, on the job search, which I'm, I think I'm making progress. Who knows what's going on? But, anyways, that's what's going on with me. No, we, we believe in you, David. Um, 
yeah, I, again, anything we can do to help, we always appreciate you taking the time to chat. Certainly a fan of all of your work, as always. And, you know, hey, if you're free, I've got ideas. So I'm happy to throw a topic or two your way. But, again, David, thank you so much for taking the time. Be safe. Be healthy. We'll talk to you again next week. Thanks so much for having me. This was uh, fun. Uh, and like I said, I, it was nice doing a little uh, debating as opposed to just uh, right. Like, at, at the figure, it was time for us to change things up. It yeah. was time for something where there was no way we could agree on everything. Yeah. Um, and, so. Yeah. No. So it was nice, but don't worry. Next time I bring you back, we'll do more agreeing. So I'll talk to you soon. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> Hope all of you enjoyed today's conversation with David Gertler. Again, a huge thank you to him for taking the time to chat with me. As always, if you want to read more of his work, he has written extensively the Next Gen 2.0 series talking about guys like Brooksby, like Corda, like, you know, some of the other, I suppose, Sinner and Musetti and, you know, Alcaraz, the other next next gen players we see rising up the ATP rankings. And, you know, again, David's work fantastic. So be sure to go follow him on Twitter at TennisBlocker one and of course again read everything he's writing on our website crackedrackets.com of course we've been so fortunate to have some fantastic conversations some fantastic guests here on the great shot podcast of late david kane joined me last week to talk top five most interesting wta tennis players to watch this summer jeff sackman joined me to update all of you on the analytics right now happening in the tennis world as well as name the five players we think are most likely to stop novak djokovic's chase uh, pursuit i should say of history this summer i was joined by gary nathan to do the top five most interesting atp players ben rothenberg's going to be joining me soon as well uh just again we're trying to get all of you listeners up to date rocking and rolling on everything happening in the tennis world because, of course, it is a busy summer. Olympics around the corner, U.S. Open not long after that. It's our job here at Crack Rackets to ensure you tennis fans have all the information you need to thoroughly enjoy the sport the way you deserve. Of course, as always, if you've missed out on anything, you can find it all on the website, crackrackets.com. You need the more immediate updates, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, YouTube. We are at Crack Rackets. You want to message me directly, I am at GreatShotPod. A shout-out, as always, to our super producers, Max Fligner and Daniel Westoff for the f- of an editing job they do day in, day out. A shout out as well to our friends over at Turner Tennis. Remember, contact sales at uniquesports.com or call 800-554-3707. With all of that said, for my wonderful guests, David Gertler, Super Producers Fligner and Westoff, our friends at Turner. And from all of us here at both Crack Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. You know what we say. Hey, great shot. We'll talk to you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone. <laughs>